Welcome to the first episode of Doe, a podcast discussing cases of Jane and John Doe's. My name is Kat. And I'm Allie. So first, we're going to talk about why we're doing this. Allie? Uh, for me, I just really, it just tugs at my heartstrings to read about the situations that Jane and John Doe's have been found in. And I think it's just a good thing to talk about them because it might jog someone's memory. Uh, unidentified persons is what got me into doing my second undergrad degree in forensic anthropology because I did a field school in California where we exhumed graves of unidentified people from 1908 to 2008 to get DNA samples to see if we could get any matches. I think it's really cool and I love hearing about all of your forensic stuff because I'm a graphic designer and I have nothing to do with forensics, (laughs) but I find it interesting. And I'm also going to bring fun facts that I learned in forensic class. This week, the difference between circumstantial and direct evidence, since there seems to be a lot of confusion about that, both in popular culture and just in people. So direct evidence, which sounds like it would be the best, is actually just witness testimony, therefore super unreliable because the human memory is super unreliable. Circumstantial is the stuff that people actually care the most about, like DNA evidence, fingerprint evidence, uh, blood splatter, anything that's found at or associated with a crime scene, that's circumstantial because it's not... I saw so-and-so there, it's science shows us that this happened or this person was here. Might be pertinent to some of our cases at some point, I don't know. Still good to know. Yeah, there you go. So I guess we'll get started on the, straight into the does. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to do mine first. Mm -hmm. Mine is the Nation River Lady. So Nation River Lady is a Jane Doe that was found in Castleman, Ontario, on May 3rd, 1975, 55 kilometers, which is 35 miles, east of Ottawa. She was a white female, 25 to 50 years old, and she was about 5'2 to 5'8. A farmer named Claude Legault found her 300 feet from where the 417, Highway 417, crosses over the Nation River. Initially, they thought she died one to four weeks before being found, but later expanded that to as early as fall or winter months of 1974, because she might have been frozen. Probably would have been frozen. Yeah, regardless. Like, if she did disappear, she would have been frozen. And also, I don't know, there's been some stuff that I've read online where they don't know if she was dropped from the eastbound lanes or the westbound lanes, and some articles say it was from the eastbound some articles say it was from the westbound and i'm like how can you figure that out yeah i have no idea i'm not even gonna try and guess something physics if you look at the google maps the eastbound and the westbound are two separate um bridges over the river i think and it looks like they're pretty close together so i have no idea idea. or else it was something like they found blood or something on one of the maybe like that's the only thing i could think of is like they found or like tire tracks or some evidence but but even then if they found blood on the bridge she's probably it's probably been recent it probably hasn't been from fall the previous year anyways so if you want to see this jane doe in in a real photo there's a photo of her on an article by digital journal which I do have to give a warning because I was not prepared for seeing this photo when I saw it and I had to like scroll down the page real fast because it was very scary. Now show it to me. Okay, so now I'm going to show you, Caitlin. Uh, 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 There it is. 
she looks pretty. Like, you can tell that, like, she was pretty. Oh, this is... Oh, yeah, you can't see her hair in this one, really. So, speaking of her hair, it was um, brown hair dyed strawberry blonde. She had blue eyes, no pregnancies, which I read up on this, and they can tell if a woman has had a pregnancy or not from the marks on her bones. Yep, her pelvis. Um, she had a removed appendix and a red or pink manicure and pedicure. Um, quite a few composite sketches have been made over the years that all look really different. Which is super weird because they literally have her face, her, her actual face. So I don't know if it's so decomposed that they're trying to like but, bump it uh, up, but yeah, none of like, the photos to me look like the postmortem photo, I guess. Yeah, because like she looks young. Yeah, because I saw a couple of the composite sketches. Looks yeah, like, like they're right here. Yeah, it's, it does not look like that. That does not look like her at all. They make her look much older than she actually. Yeah, in the seem to be postmortem, even with decomp and everything. Yeah, she looks like she's pretty young. Um, and she also looks like she's got more of an oval, not oval, but more of a round face. Yeah, or and like heart-shaped or some, like some, a, a smaller head. A squishier, head. smaller face. A squishier face. A squishier face. Um, so she's got dentals available. She wore upper and lower partial dentures that initially appeared manufactured somewhere overseas, but it turns out they're actually super common in Southern Ontario. Um, she had a lot of fillings. She had webbed feet. Which you'd think it'd be super easy to identify her because web feet are not common. But that was also something that in the recent articles I didn't see mentioned, which to me is weird because that seems like something that if you're thinking of someone that you knew 30 years ago, you'd be like, oh yeah, it's that chick with web feet. But like, I also wonder if someone maybe mistook um, the degloving of the skin of her feet for web feet. Like, if somebody just saw them, they're like, oh, look at the skin. It's around the toes like that. It's can clearly you, webbed. Can you define degloving? Because I have no idea what that oh, is. Oh, it's horrifying. Oh, it is God. horrifying. Okay, well, now you need to tell me what it is. It is when the... It basically when the skin becomes separated from everything underneath. <sighs> so, yeah. Um, I could see how that might be... It Pretend that your skin is a glove. And it has come off. Well... No, I'm not going to sleep tonight. Thanks, nope. Caitlin. <laughs> um, there you go. Okay, so she was a possible smoker, um, which I was confused about how they might determine that. And my thoughts are maybe nicotine stains on fingers or the way that her lungs and her throat looks. Or if she had, like, stained teeth. Yeah. So, and it says possible, so. Yeah, and also, fake. like... When was this? 1990? Oh, no, 1975. Okay, 1970s, Southern Ontario. Yeah, she was probably smoking. Probably smoking. Um, So, generally, she took care of herself and DNA is available. So, they have fingerprints, they have dentals, they have DNA. To me, that all is positive that this case might be solved one day, maybe. Because that's Um, a lot of information. Yeah. So, she was strangled. Um, Her larynx was fractured in two places. Um, She was bound before she was killed, and she ate a short time before she died. I just want to know what she ate, just because I'm curious like that. Yeah, even though even the stomach contents will probably not tell you anything about when she died. Because it's not... It isn't very well understood. There's a lot of factors that affect digestion, so every person's different different environments, so... I'm just spitballing here. But what if it's, like, 
she ate something and it was like, oh, that was a very specific baked potato or oh, corned beef sandwich from the specific shop. That is true. That is true. That's just where my mind goes. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, okay. I'll accept that. Yeah. So, um, the body was so decomposed that they couldn't figure out if she was sexually assaulted. Um, police think there was a fight, though, and the killer rammed a piece of curtain rod into her armpit. One article made it sound like the curtain rod was, like, stuck in her armpit. And then, I'm th- like, I before I read that, I was thinking it was just, like, a bruise that maybe they saw. And because they found the curtain rod, maybe they thought that. But it could have also been stuck inside her armpit. Which is, like, the weirdest weapon ever. Yeah. Because people generally don't have curtain rods just kind of lying around. Like, the killer or um, abuser, I guess, would have had to take it off the yeah. wall. And they're generally kind of long. So it, you'd have to, like, break it or break off the... There's usually screws involved, like, unscrewing There's a it. lot. There's a lot going on with curtain rods for that to be used as a weapon. Yeah. It's very odd. Um, so the other things that were found with her, three types of ties. One was blue and gray, and it's pretty big and not much um, to be said about it. But the other one is red and white. It has a crazy 70s pattern, and it is wide. Like, it is so 70s tie. Like, it's like a bib. It basically looks Which like a bib. Which is the best. It's, yeah. Kind of the best. Um, and then there was another tie known as the Canadian tie with three emblems on it. Um, it was sold in Quebec and eastern Ontario. Uh, the emblem is a rectangle that says Canada at the top and the bottom's the flag with rounded corners. Um, and basically the only thing they have to go on this, like the only clue in this entire case really, is a clerk at a store in Memora, which is about three hours west, closer to Peterborough, Ontario, uh, remembered selling one of these to a couple where the woman matched the description of this Jane Doe. And where do you buy this tie? I think it was just like... Oh, no, like what area? Oh, it was um, Quebec and eastern Ontario. Okay. So, Peter Rose in there. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, the Did woman... I get to see the fly? Oh, the tie. Tie, the tie. Um, yeah, so that's... Okay, that's the... That's yeah, the, yeah, that's a typical tie. That's the tie. Oh, yeah, there's the little Canadian flags. Yeah, so okay. I thought, like, Canadian emblem meant, like, maple leaf or a beaver, but... Or, like, our coat of arms, not just, like... It's literally just the flag that says Canada. I think I have a pin that looks like that, actually. It honestly, it reminds me of um, the logo for the hip, like the tragically hip, but they've got it in like the Trans Canada Highway logo. Oh yeah, yeah. That's what it looks like to me. Okay, yeah. But um, anyways, so that's really the only thing they had to go on. That the male in the couple was thirty five years old and maybe five four to five six. But again, I don't really consider this a lead because it's like at some point in time a couple bought this tie, like the clerk couldn't remember when. He didn't have any other information to go on. And the lady matched the description, even though it's like dyed strawberry, blonde, white. Looks like a lot of women in the 70s from what I've seen. Um, So then there were also two green fringe throw blankets and a floral tea towel, um, but also an Irish toast kitchen towel, which in all of the articles I read was described as a Gaelic, completely Gaelic, made in Ireland towel. And then I got to the OPP website, and that is not what it is. It's a Weiser's whiskey towel, which to me, it doesn't look like a kitchen towel. It looks like a towel that would have been in a bar. Like it's got the Weiser's logo on it. He, It's got illustrations of Weiser's bottles and fish. And it's talking about how food and drink have been coupled together for centuries. 
So to me, it's more of like a bar towel than a... And I really want to see a picture of this. Oh, you can definitely see a picture Cause of Because I really... I want to know what an Irish toast towel is. Which I don't... I don't think it is. Oh. Right? Oh. Like, it looks... It looks like something that someone would have put up in a bar, like, as a decorative thing. Yeah, I've seen stuff like that where... Yeah. Yeah. It, like... I mean, I could see why it could be, like, an Irish towel. But it has no Gaelic like, on it. No, no, no. That's fully English. But, yeah, like, that... Souvenir towels, I've seen like that. That's it. It's a souvenir towel. That, yeah. 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 So... I saw a lot of those in the Maritimes, actually. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so, basically, that that's what was found with her. And the other thing is that... So, basically, she had all of these towels wrapped around her head. And she also had antenna wrapped around her head as well and this antenna like antenna like, like metal no thing? sorry like antenna cable oh okay okay so anyway. anyways it was one of those um and this is a really specific wire it was manufactured by Cablevision in renfrew ontario and sold in ottawa montreal hull and brockville so like it's really specific to the area yeah and apparently there was only a certain amount of footage that was made because it was flat and not oval or circular. Yeah. So it's like super specific. She was wearing a collared navy blue leotard and her head was wrapped up in these towels. Um, and the kitchen towel was knotted in the back to form a ligature around her neck. Um, in case you're like me and you've heard that word forever, but you've never actually looked it up, I looked it up and I thought that ligature just meant like rope burn, but actually it means, um, a mark made by a piece of rope used to strangle someone. Almost? Almost? Yeah, it's a ligature is the thing used to strangle. Okay, so the ligature mark is yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so ligature mark, yeah, is the bruising, is the bruising. Yeah. Okay, so I was almost right. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's how she was found, um, and what the police are thinking is uh, she ate a large meal and then was attacked by a man inside a room where the cloths would be at hand. As she was attacked, either she or the killer pulled down a curtain, and in the struggle, the curtain rod rammed into her armpit. She was then overpowered and tied up and then killed. Okay, I could see how a curtain rod would then come into play. So they don't say anything about the timeline of events, um, but it sounds like she was killed inside of a home where these things would have been. I mean, yeah. So to me, it sounds like this was probably a domestic violence situation. Well, if it was... Like, a couple that bought the tie. Who knows when? But if it is the same people, and they're still together, and that guy still had the tie... That would make sense. And it's usually the spouse or lover who is going to murder you. Fun fact. Uh, not so fun. I wouldn't call that a fun fact. (laughs) So, one of the local theories at the time was that she was European, and the killer was from Montreal. Um, That's weirdly specific. Right? It sounds like this theory came from the fact that nobody knew her in Castleman or the surrounding areas. And Castleman, I looked it up, in 1991, Castleman's population was 2,400, so it's probably quite a bit smaller in 75. So they just go, Europe. Yeah. No, nowhere else are you going to find a white lady. You're either from just Castleman Europe. or you're from Europe. Perfect. <laughs> that, that's it. Those are your Toronto would have blown their mind. Yeah, no, not from Toronto. Oh Europe. Okay, okay, fair enough. So, I think the killer could have been from Montreal. Just because of the proximity. I mean, yeah. Like, yeah, why not? If, if we're saying he could have been from Montreal, he could have been from Toronto. He could have been from yeah. Peterborough. He could have been from anywhere. Hoping for Truth on Web Sleuths mentioned that there's a case seven hours away in East Haven, Connecticut uh, in August 75. Okay. So the timeline works out where Jane Doe was found gagged and bound with a black antenna wire around her neck, waist, and knees. 
So there are some similarities in this case, but there are also similarities with a lot of cases. If you're going to tie somebody up, an antenna cable is easily accessible, then I would say I could see that happening in a lot of cases. Yeah, and the whole, um, there was another one that I'm not going to get too into because I'm going to probably do another episode about it, but there's a Jane Doe in Baltimore, Maryland, found in September 1976. Okay, okay, year later. Who, who, her hands were tied behind her back with medical bandage, and her head was covered in three cloths, but just from what I've been reading and by osmosis by watching things like Mindhunter, um, I know that Covering the face is kind of common, too. Oh, it's super common. Kind of weird that there's three claws, though. Like, why do you need that many? Specifically three. Maybe if you're tying it or whatever. I don't know. There are some cases in the time frame, in the general area, that maybe sound similar, but to me, no. Well, it's like, it would be kind of like looking at Toronto now and going, there's a shooting victim, there's a shooting victim. They happen in the space of a year when... No, they have nothing to do with each other, even if they're super similar. Yeah. Basically, that's this case. There's really not much to go on. The OPP, that's Ontario Provincial Police, released photos um, of a clay bust. So they've gotten a few tips, uh, like one about a woman in Two Rivers, Quebec, who parked a car at a dock and was never seen again. So apparently they're getting a bunch of tips like that. So I guess with her would have been, like, taken from... Yeah, so they're just, they're getting tips. Yeah, yeah, okay. I have faith that this will get solved, though, because they do have her fingerprints, they have her DNA, they have her dentals. You'd think it's, there's something there. There's a lot to go on. Yeah. So, just to, I guess, end it up, um, she was buried in Mount Pleasant Cemetery in Toronto in 87, uh, with just a metal number on her grave and not a name, and she spent over a decade inside drawer number 34 at the provincial morgue, which... To me, is super sad. 12 years in a drawer at the morgue. And that's my case. Okay. <laughs> so mine is actually kind of weirdly close to the area where yours was found. Um, mine is Clarington, Ontario, east of Oshawa, north of Newcastle, uh, east of Toronto, and also near Coburg, Bowmanville. That general Kind of out area. in the boonies a little bit. So in 2006... A man walking his dog and harvesting dogwood found a skull by the fifth wheel truck stop at South Service Road and Holt Road. And it's just, I guess, south of uh, Highway 401, which is a really long highway, really well used. If, yeah, it's pain uh... in the ass to drive on. And it's also kitty corner to a power plant. Not sure if that's relevant at all, but. And just found in a field. So. The truck stop, fifth wheel, was the biggest between Toronto and Kingston. Not sure if it still is. Don't think I looked that one up. The skull was bleached um, and showed no signs of being underground. If it had been underground, there would have been some staining, but it was all white. The skull had a well-healed and set nasal fracture, like from an injury, broken nose, or it could have come from rhinoplasty. The teeth first were the front teeth were very prominent i think that's what buck teeth are they kind of stick stick out yeah yeah okay so she had prominent buck teeth white fillings in some of the front teeth and silver fillings in some of the back teeth which isn't uncommon since silver fillings are usually used in the back teeth because of the high stress from chewing or grinding while white fillings can be used in the front because you're not doing as much to them And I looked it up, and the white fillings started really being used in the 1980s, I think. 
This so far, is... the timeline's working. Yeah. And this was 2006. That the body was found. Okay. Well, skull. So after the skull was found, two searches of the area were conducted. The first one was done in 2006, and it was a full archaeological dig that yielded more remains associated with the skull, along with a digital Omni watch. The remains were determined to belong to a female between 18 and 30 years of age, likely of European descent, but possibly of mixed ancestry. I think Aboriginal is one that pops up a lot. The watch was sold exclusively through consumers distributing in the early 80s, which is the same place my parents ordered their wedding rings from in, I guess, 1990. I love that. So four years later, in 2010, a second search was done, this time focusing on the thatch. I'm not entirely sure why they waited so long. I can only assume resources because, like, does tend to be lower priority. Mm -hmm. When they did that search, more artifacts were found, including a multicolor striped t-shirt, part of a pair of gray track pants with an elastic cuff, and a gold ring set with a garnet and two diamonds. The shirt was manufactured by Randy River. Randy River. Randy River. <laughs> in the early 90s and sold through Tip Top Tailors. Well, the ring was sold from 1977 to 1984 at Burns Jewelers in downtown Oshawa. Which seems super specific. It is, yeah. And I looked up Burns Jewelers and then immediately forgot to say whether they were open still or not. Oh, we uh, have the technology. Allie's going to Google that one for me. So nothing was found below the thatch supporting the... Uh, a theory that her body had been on the surface for 8 to 25 years. Oh, Burns Jewelers, still around. still around. Been around since 1925. All right. They're still kicking. There we go. And the area has a really high water table, three to four inches from the surface, with constant rain. So it's not exactly the ideal conditions for burial, which again supports surface. And when they were doing the archaeological dig, it was just pure mud. Fun. So it was pretty awful. Also, I have pictures, which we will be posting to whatever platform we use. Oh no, so many tabs. We're going to post them on Friendster. Friend? (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And let me show you the evidence. Okay, here's this. The Randy River shirt is like green, navy blue, yellow, red. Very like late 80s early 90s yeah like when you said randy river i thought of like mid 90s that kind of stuff but this looks much older yeah it's it's kind of really ugly actually not really super great and here's the ring it's actually a really nice ring yeah so again it looks pretty aged to like 80s yeah very 80s and here's the digital watch also super 80s see when you said 2006 i was thinking like she was gonna be dressed up like she was in mean girls yeah, so when they say eight years, that doesn't quite jive with what she's wearing. Because no. even if you go to like, well, I guess we don't have Goodwill anymore. But when you did, it'd be hard. You'd be hard pressed to find clothing even that looks like this. It, yeah. It'd be newer stuff. Yeah. And you'll see on some sites and places they also include like this heart sticker, and I don't know if there was a balloon or something. There was something else. They have nothing to do with the remains. They were just there. They were just, it's the side of a highway. You're going to find garbage. So a DNA profile was created, but she doesn't match any missing persons reports in the area. And further complicating the case is her body's proximity to the truck stop, meaning that she could have come from anywhere. But she did have the Oshawa ring. She did, but 
that is also something that she could have got at a thrift store or somebody could yeah. in the area could have given to her. Like, instinctually, I think she was from the area. Me too. There's just too much. There's a lot pointing to that. Or at least, like, Ontario. At least southern Ontario. Yeah, yeah. But the fact that there's no missing persons report, it could be, theoretically, she didn't have anyone to um, submit a report, like, didn't have any family, or maybe she did have somebody, but it was the person who led to her death and would have, and would not want to submit a missing person report. Or it could be somebody who was hitchhiking and was the seven. Oh wait, no, yours was the 70s. Yeah. But if it was like 80s, 90s, again, hitchhiking was still a huge thing. Right. Even now you kind of see it, but it's really hard to place her because... It was a truck stop. It was near a truck stop. Plus... One thing about the spot is it's actually got several characteristics of a good body disposal site. It's next to a highway. Mm. It's easily accessible, like dogwood thatch and kind of greenery. Like, it's, no one's really going to be going there. Hydro plants, they're not visited very often. They're more just, like, maintenance. And it's really easy to miss a body. Yeah, so it's a good spot to dispose of somebody. So a few facial estimations... Apparently, that is the correct term rather than reconstruction. Because That's good to know. reconstruction gives you the assumption that this is what the person looked like, while estimation is more, this is what the person could have looked like. So, a clay bust was done, a digital reconstruction, and a sketch. Those are all the official ones that were done. And a poster with pictures of the reconstructions and the artifacts found with her were distributed nationally. And nothing has yielded any results. The problem with the sketch is that it was done after all the other reconstructions and info about the woman's appearance had already been available for a long time, so it's not exactly objective and that one isn't one I'm going to really consider just because it's such a guess. The digital reconstruction and the clay bust were both done following forensic principles regarding skull landmarks, but they don't really look like a real person. Well, now you have to show me. Yes. Yes, yes. Okay, so here we have digital reconstruction. She looks like a sim. Yes, she does. She looks like a sim. Oh my god, yes. Uh, The clay bust looks actually better. Totally. But again, well, the neck doesn't work. And then there's this one down at the bottom. These ones look completely different. Yeah, so we have the sketch done here. Um, So there's a link that I'm going to post leading to a site where she, I assume discusses the case and she's also created her own composite sketches which actually which look the best but they seem to be heavily based on the unreliable sketch and she also assumes that the fracture was caused by rhinoplasty and has formed the nose based off of that under the assumption that you only get rhinoplasty to make your nose smaller not necessarily true, I guess. Yeah, and also if it were an injury it could be a crooked nose yeah. and all so it's They're the best looking ones, but they're also, it's hard to know how reliable they are. Right. And that's really all we know about her. It's not a lot to go on. Very little. Basically, here's a bunch of stuff from like Oshawa, Southern Ontario area. Yeah. So, So, yeah, that's not a lot. Not a lot to go on. Hopefully the DNA profile eventually gets a hit, but that only works if they either have her DNA already on file or if somebody related to her submits DNA to, like, a database. Which you aren't going to do if you haven't 
like said that someone's missing. Yeah, and even people who have missing people that they've reported don't necessarily submit their DNA because personal reasons or they just might not know it's an option. Yeah, I know some people have real issues with submitting their DNA to like Ancestry.com and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. So I can understand that, I guess, a little bit. But if you had a missing person, I could see that that would override. Oh no, my DNA is going out into the world. Government. Government's gonna get me. Yeah. Yeah, because I think we only have two DNA databases in Canada, possibly. And they're mostly criminal. I have to look more into how that thing works. Yeah, that's interesting. I noticed when I was looking for mine, just compared to researching American does versus Canadian does, Mm. the Canadian police are so much more tight-lipped. If you're submitting something to NamUs, I've read a lot where people say, oh yeah, I heard back from them and stuff, but it's kind of like you submit a tip and it just goes into the ether and you don't know what's gone gone on with it. Yeah, there's a lot of bureaucracy involved with case information. All right. So to leave this podcast on a bit more of a positive note, what we're going to do is our last case is going to be solved. We're going to do Jane Doe's that now have their names back. And John Doe's. And John Doe's, yes. All Doe's. All the Doe's that are not Doe's anymore. So this one was solved in May 2017, and she turned into a Jane Doe on April 1st, 1990, when she stepped into traffic on the Pacific Coast Highway and was struck by two cars. So the first one was a Mazda MX-6, I think, and the other one was a Lincoln Continental. So she was wearing a black dress, hot pink sweater, red long sleeve shirt, and hot pink pumps. The only thing she had with her other than this was a ring of human hair on either her left ring or left pinky finger and a hotel room key and an additional lock of hair in her pocket. So from the articles I read, it sounds like she was trying to cross the highway. It wasn't really a suicide case, but you never know, right? Yeah. Like, unless you're in her brain at that time, you don't know. But I guess the room key didn't lead anywhere because the only lead they had was a few people came forward to say that they knew her as Andrea. And she told them that she was hitchhiking in California to find her biological parents. One guy said that he took her shopping. She spent 20 bucks at Goodwill to buy the stuff that she was wearing when she died. And he also said that they saw her make the ring of hair that she put on her finger and that it was her own hair. Okay, so not like... It wasn't like a Victorian death ring like okay. we just found out about at uh, a Pioneer Bla- Village walk. Oh, fine, I won't say which one. Oh, yeah, no, totally say it. The Black Creek Pioneer Village. Which has been our favorite place. Like, ever. Yeah. We just did an escape room there, too, and it was really fun. It, that was really fun. So, um, da, da, da. another person said that she might be from Newport News, Virginia, and that she'd been going around telling people that she was either from New York or Virginia. So, at this point, they had fingerprints, dental records, a name, and a general area of the U.S. to search. You'd think that it would take less than 27 years to figure yeah, this one out. You know. So, they put her fingerprints into NamUs and lots of other databases. And in early 2017, NamUs and FBI, the FBI, got together to go through old files and re-examine Doe fingerprints compared to fingerprints around the country. So, they put her fingerprints through APHIS, which is the Automated Fingerprint Identification System, and they got a match. Turns out that she was working for the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Um, so as part of her application to that department in 1987, she gave her fingerprints, and 30 years later, someone put them into APHIS, and they matched this Jane Doe. She was actually Andrea Quipper, K-U-I-P-E-R, uh, Quipper, 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 from Fairfax, Fairfax, Virginia. Her dad, Richard, released a statement that said that she was smart, clever, attractive, and persuasive, and manic-depressive. Which is now bi- bipolar disorder. Yes. 
Um, a few months before she died, a friend told them that she was okay, that Andrea was okay, so they never filed a missing persons report. The part of the story that gets me is her dad says that they always wanted her to drive into their driveway with a car full of children saying, hi, it's me. There's some photos online. So the, um, facial estimations, I guess. A guy named Carl Koppelman, uh, who has done a lot of really awesome reconstruction, I guess, estimation photos that I've seen, did one and it looks exactly like her. Oh, oh, this guy! Yeah, that guy! Like, where most... he puts, like, farm backgrounds? Yeah, yeah, like, the background of, like, where they may have been found. Oh, is that what it is? I think that's what it is. Okay, because I, I thought he just really liked the farm. <laughs> no, I think it's where they were found. Okay. But it's, like, kick ass. There it is. That's her. This one? Yeah. Um, Isn't that a kid? Yeah, it looks more like a kid, but it looks like her. So, yeah, that's this Jane Doe. Um, yeah, she got her name back after 27 years, and there's an Unsolved Mysteries episode about her that I'm definitely going to watch now. And if I ever figure out where Unsolved Mysteries is, then I will watch it. Well, yeah, I'll have to figure that out first. So she was able to, I guess, have a proper funeral and everything? Uh, they didn't mention anything about that, uh, but I'll her just assume. Yeah, her family's got closure now, so yay, science. Yay. Yay. And I guess that's the first episode. Yep. And on a high note. Yes. Thanks for listening, everybody. Bye.